Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. Hello, I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel, host of Positivity Strategist. Thank you in advance for listening in. And you are in for an amazing treat today. My special guest is the brilliant Dr. Lindsay Godwin, Associate Professor, Robert P. Stiller School of Business at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. Lindsay is an exceptional human being with an amazing career that spans the globe and which I plan to shine the light on in my conversation with her today. Lindsay is not only a professor in a business school, but she has close professional relationships with businesses locally and internationally. Lindsay has sat at the table with the Dalai Lama and has shared the stage with the presidents of global corporations and the elected presidents and politicians of countries. I'm not naming names. Except to say, Lindsay received her PhD in organisation behaviour from Case Western Reserve University, where she studied with the founding thought leaders in Appreciative Inquiry, David Cooper Ryder and Ron Fry. Today, I'm so honoured to have the opportunity to speak with my esteemed friend and Appreciative Inquiry colleague, Lindsay Godwin. Lindsay, a big, heartfelt, appreciative welcome to Positivity Strategist. Thank you, Robin. Oh my goodness, I am so delighted to be here with you. And with an intro like that, my day can't get any better. (laughs) That's lovely. Lindsay, I love that your bio page on the Champlain College website states, the innovative programs at the Stiller School of Business at Champlain College have the visionary mission to change the world through business. And you say this is the perfect recipe for creating a powerful learning environment for students. And you also reference Champlain's motto, let us dare, which you say embodies an appreciative inquiry spirit because it invites us to dare to ask new and bold questions that will carve a transformational path forward. This is the essence of appreciative inquiry for sure, to ask new and bold questions that will carve a transformational path forward. Now, before we get into some of these pathways, let me invite you first, Lindsay, to share with us how you started on your journey in academia and especially business studies and appreciative inquiry and positivity. Will you share that story with us now? Oh, I would love to, Robin. It's one of my favorites because um, I actually didn't do it on purpose, I don't think. I, I had quite a journey getting to study business and specifically organizational behavior. My, my undergraduate studies were actually in psychology and sociology with a minor in biology. So I was always joking that I like to study human beings at all levels, at the <laughs> cellular level, the interpersonal level, and the society level. 
and I was just sort of fascinated by human nature and, and understanding the world around me. And I also had this draw to higher ed and knew that I wanted to uh, be a professor and be in academia and, and sort of practice and scholarship combined. And so I was on this track and trying to figure out my way. And I graduated from college and realized, oh, I need to, I need to continue my studies. So I uh, jotted off to George Mason University where I was studying conflict resolution at the Institute for Conflict Resolution at George Mason, a fabulous institute, one of the best programs for conflict resolution in the world. Faculty were just amazing faculty that were getting called literally all over the world to go to Rwanda, to go to places all over the world. But when I was there, I realized I was I was still missing something as I sat in this institute where people were talking about sort of conflict and managing conflict. And there was a lot of organizational conflict in this organization. And <laughs> I thought that was, that was interesting to me. And I was like, there's something going on that I'm missing. I'm still missing this piece of human nature. And I said, aha, what if I, what if I study organizational life and organizational structures and organizational behavior? So I started taking coursework outside of uh, the institute where I was and took a course called Consulting for Organizational Change. And now this course was at George Mason, and it was supposed to be taught by Tojo Thatchenkerry, who some of you might know is a fabulous scholar, graduate from Case Western, who does work in appreciative intelligence. And he wrote the book, Appreciative Intelligence. Fabulous. Um, but he was on sabbatical, so I didn't have class with him. I ended up having class with another wonderful um, graduate from the Case Western Organizational Behavior Program, Ann Baker, who was a student of David Kolb's at, at Case Western. And I, I, I fell in love with Anne and I fell in love with organizational behavior. And through my colleagueship with her, she said, you know, Lindsay, I think you really should check out Case Western has this really great organizational behavior program. It's really one of the top OB programs in the country, if not the world. She goes, I think you would really resonate with them. And, and trusting Anne and knowing that she's an amazing person, I, I put my whole heart and trust in her and, and scattered off to Cleveland to visit Case Western. And I simply fell in love with them and the work that they were doing. David and Ron with Appreciative Inquiry. Richard Boyatzis is there doing emotional intelligence. David Kolb is there doing doing uh, experiential learning. And so honestly, I went there not even fully appreciating and not intentionally going to say, oh, I'm going to study appreciative inquiry. I was just sort of following my heart and my enthusiasm for these people and the work that I saw them um, having this culture and this spirit of trying to be transformative in the world and that they really encourage their students to ask questions that have profound impact. And, and you know, what is the difference that you want to make in the world is sort of the overarching driving question question in the program. And that just resonated and, and sparked me. And so I found myself in the doctoral program at Case Western, again, surrounded by these amazing mentors, generous, generous colleagues, faculty and students alike. And next thing I know, it was the same time. It was it was just a good time that I, I think I landed there. I pinched myself a little bit um, because it was right when David Cooperwriter and Ron Fry and some other colleagues were starting the Businesses Agent of World Benefit. Um, at the time, it wasn't even a center. It's a center now there at Case Western. But at the time, it was just a project where they were launching this world inquiry, uh, a worldwide search 
search, an appreciative uh, worldwide search for stories and examples of businesses that are um, fundamentally helping make the world a better place, that they are successful and they're helping their employees and their community and the natural environment uh, flourish and thrive as well. And so I was right there at the beginning of that with them and, um, and just sort of got into appreciative inquiry, literally by rolling up my sleeves and working with the masters themselves. I mean, you can't uh, learn any better than sort of being toe-to-toe with David and Ron and all of the other wonderful students and faculty at Case Western. So my delve into appreciative inquiry began, I said, one of the first summits, I'm almost embarrassed to share this, Robin, and but I'll, I'll tell you, here we are, friends <laughs> on this podcast. One of my first summits that I attended was David and Ron and uh, were invited to facilitate the UN Global Compact had invited uh, it was when Kofi Annan was head of the UN and uh, they were calling together and realized that they needed to have a involve the business world if they're really going to address the UN millennial development goals and so Kofi Annan and folks at the UN called together business leaders and yes presidents the president from Brazil was there from all of all over the world to have this summit to launch the UN global compact to really explore how business can be a partner uh, with the UN and, and with each other to to address the pressing social needs um, for the world so David was a part of facilitating that. And again, being the generous teacher and mentor that he was, took a group of us, We were stu- I was a doctoral student at the time, um, and took several of us with him to help facilitate and be a part of that transformative process that has now launched the Glo- Global Compact has grown. And there's um, hundreds and hundreds of organizations now around the world a part of it, and different projects have been launched from that. So my experience, you know, in Summit sort of started right at the top as well. So that's just just been a, I still pinch myself that um, some of my experiences are just, they're, they're otherworldly to me. So I feel funny sharing them, but they've been fabulous uh, transformative learning experiences. Lindsay, that is just so fantastic. And if I look at, listen to what you're saying here, you had a, you exercised your vision of what your calling would be. So, you know, all the ways that you've been describing your entry into appreciative inquiry you were living appreciative inquiry right (laughs) you know it was the image that inspired action and it was heartfelt you followed your heart um, and you sat at the feet of masters and learned from masters and you threw you threw yourself into it and I have to say there's a parallel there because my I did my appreciative inquiry training at case as well as you know and it was at the same year that the Global Compact w- was happening. Right, um, right. So that was really thrilling. And I also had somebody say to me, Robin, you, uh, there's a program, a course that you need to do. You will love it. And I trusted this colleague too and I just said, okay, and I signed up for the next one. And so it, to me it's, you know, it's <laughs> so how you get it. I do get it. And, you know, you've made me get goosebumps when you describe your story um, and the fact that you were there at such an important time and you were able to be with these wonderful thought leaders. And, you know, it's also this thing about, you know, the constructionist principle. You were, in the way that you were living, you were creating the future for yourself and the future of these organisations and these networks, you know, these interconnected networks that have totally informed you throughout your amazing career and taking you to amazing places. So it's such an inspiring story. 
and living and being in this worldview of valuing the people you're with and valuing what you're doing and valuing the contribution and creating the contribution as you do it. I love that. And you've put it so uh, well, as you often do, Robin. I love it that you're so insightful and can put it in words even better than I can. But you're right. It's sort of that constructionist principle and that positivity principle that I I was following my heart. And that has led me to make decisions sometimes that other people might in the time being question and wonder, why are you doing that? You know, that might not make sense in the moment or it might not be a traditional decision. But it's it's led me to just great, amazing experiences. And I truly believe that that was one of the pieces of advice that David Kolb offered us when we were students there is if you're truly following your heart and your calling and your passion, as you say, paths open up to you and opportunities open up that you wouldn't otherwise even know are possible. So I really do trust that. I believe that for myself as an individual. And you're right, that really has been a guiding principle in my work with organizations to really get clear on what is it what is it that you're, you're right, you're calling and is in your heart and, and the path will open up for you and let's figure out how to do that together. Yeah, and there's an interesting piece um, I'd just like to pull out of that. You said that there was something missing. So I'm curious to, you know, in your exploration of what you wanted to do and you'd done some amazing things leading up to this, but the missing piece, and I'm wondering... Does it always have to be something that's missing or because when we work with appreciative inquiry, we really talk about building on the strengths and identifying the strengths Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the gap. Just expand on that notion of something was missing for you. Reflecting here with you, I think that was, you know, an interesting choice of words. And I'm I'm thinking back now, was it something that's missing or to your point of I, I think I felt in studying conflict resolution, I hadn't quite hit my stride with I hadn't found something that that fully aligned with my own strengths and passions. Ah. So I think you're right. It wasn't maybe so much that something was missing, although at the time I was sort of framing it in that, well, maybe it's I'm missing this understanding of this other, you know, this entity called organizational behavior and organizational structure. But I think what I realize now in retrospect is that the the industry of conflict resolution and and mediation and arbitration and and all of that sort of work I was good at it and I I enjoyed the the studying and the doing of that but there was something in me that I was still not because it was so focused on on deficit mm. you know the conversations often started in deficit it was often um a fixed pie mentality of, you know, if I win, you lose and, and things like that. Although that's part of the conflict resolution work is to try to um, change that and, and, and expand that. But I just, there was something, maybe it wasn't missing, but I was still, I was drawn to this, this sense of, of what ju- else? Ju- so what else? Yes. That yeah. there has to be a different frame. And again, I wasn't, cause I was like, Oh, appreciative inquiry. I'll go study that. But that's when I when I landed at Case and sort of became aware and started getting into the world of appreciative inquiry. I knew I had landed. I land. This was that was what. Maybe it wasn't. You're exactly right that something was missing. But what that was is that now gave me a framework that I felt that I could bring my best self to it because that's how I operate and that's how I see the world. And so it gave me tools. It gave me, you know, the principles, the the process of appreciative inquiry. I think it just helped me unlock better 
my own skills and strengths. So thank you for that. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily something was missing. It was just I was continually drawn to finding that that framework and that way of working that that helped me leverage my own strengths and abilities in a better way. Yeah. And I think we intuitively know when there's something else, you know, there is something else or there are other possibilities and there are other ways of you feeling fulfilled and finding the real meaning that you you that you want to contribute mm-hmm. and that will enable you to do the real work that you feel isn't required. So it's not only that something that you want to do, but you feel it's needed as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's that both. Exactly. So Lindsay, because you know you were instrumental in the the business as an agent of world benefit work, and I must say that I really loved my my interviews that I did when I was doing my certification and went out there and interviewed a number of business executives to find out what the golden innovations that they were introducing into their organizations and constituencies around the world. That's such meaningful work. So, you know, you do have a strong business focus and after all, you are a professor of business studies. So perhaps you could share with us another example now and maybe a high point or some thrilling outcomes that you've witnessed in some of the client groups that you've worked with. And I'm thinking of, you know, when you've worked in these summits and designed and facilitated this work with big corporations or with community interest groups and people and leaders and politicians who are totally committed to engage multiple stakeholders to bring about large system positive change. So could you reflect with us now on any of these business outcomes that you've seen happen as a result of the Appreciative Increase Summit work that you've done? Sure, I'd, I'd love to. That's such a good question, Robin. Thanks. One of, the, one of the most immediate outcomes comes to mind because there's work that's continuing that I'm a part of right now is my work with ECHO and the Leahy Center here in Burlington, Vermont. Would that be an, a good story to share with you? I think that'd be a fabulous story. It's relevant, right? And it's ongoing. Yeah. So, and that's why I'm 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 drawn to tell this story. Is is exactly that? Is the I think it shows the power of sort of ongoing work like this. So, two years ago now, the Echo, which is our local science aquarium center here in in Burlington, Vermont, the Leahy Center. Is that they, an acronym for something? Echo. Echo isn't an, an acronym, and I I will environmental be, environmental cultural heritage and opportunities. I believe, and mm-hmm. um, Phelan and Steve will will give me a hard time if I get that wrong. So we should double check that, Rob. <laughs> we'll double check. Um, and so they were. They were getting ready to celebrate their um, 10th anniversary. It's a wonderful opportunity here uh, for them. They were they were celebrating, so they were looking backwards, but they also realized that they really wanted to look forward. What's the next 10 and the next 10 years for Echo? And um, some of their staff and uh, leaders in their organization had been a part of Champlain College had done an appreciative inquiry summit the summer before this. And so they had been a part of that as a stakeholder in the Champlain summit. And they had gotten a little flavor of what AI summits were. And they started saying, hmm, you know, maybe this is a process that we could use to really engage our stakeholders, but really also to have a meaningful conversation to not only celebrate the best of what Echo has done so far in the in 10 years, but also really to have a meaningful conversation about, you know, where are we going in terms of 
of uh, care and, and tending to the environmental issues around Lake Champlain, which is such an important resource, not only in Burlington, in the whole region, in the whole Champlain Valley. So they invited me at Champlain. I was uh, relatively new at Champlain, but um, had been a part of the AI Summit that they had done, and they knew of my work in Appreciative Inquiry. And so I started working with ECHO, and they, and I tell you, they are just a fabulous organization doing amazing things in the community. And they had this summit. Their summit uh, ended up being called the Blue Water in the Green Mountains. And mm-hmm. I, I love that vision. Talk about it, a positive vision. Um, and that was inspired in part from the Cleveland Summit that you might be aware of, Robin, the Green City on a Blue Lake work that's happening in Cleveland. So they yes. were inspired by that, but made it their own here because it was about, you know, blue water in the Green Mountains because we're the Green Mountain state. So it has multiple meanings for them. Yes. And they really rolled up their sleeves and did an amazing job inviting thought leaders, not only locally, but nationally. And really the focus of their work was, you know, how do we create an infrastructure and opportunities and partnerships, business, nonprofit, and um, engage the local citizenship to really help roll up their sleeves and create um, initiatives and programs and actions and behaviors that's going to lead to the next 10, 20, 30 years to ensure that we do have blue water in the Green Mountains. And it was it was a fabulous summit. Um, Robert Kennedy Jr. was one was our keynote and uh, gave a moving keynote to really sort of inspire people. And Echo's mission is this idea of one drop. One drop counts, and that we all are sort of one drop. And so that became part of the conversation of, you know, what are the individual um, activities and behaviors that they can inspire even the people that come through their doors to their building, you know, to do things that are going to have a positive impact. So so this. This summit was was really impactful for them. It was impactful for the community. And what I'm seeing, though, what they learned and what the you were asking about business outcomes and and what's become of this is Mm -hmm. what I saw is not only, you know, there were some great ideas and initiatives that got spawned that are, are beginning to take shape after the summit. But what I also saw is that Echo realized the power of being a convener and their role as helping to bring these voices together. So not only, you know, in a three-day summit – but I think they really realized that there was this need and it is a it's a business need. It's an organizational, it's a community need to be a facilitator and a space provider for multiple constituents to come together, not only during a summit, but in other things and around other issues. There's a lot of legislative legislative issues, um, of course, around environmental issues and around water. There are, you know, business issues. And so I think they started realizing how they could help be a a facilitative space for these other conversations that needed to happen. And so I think that's going to lead to some other um, initiatives and opportunities for ECHO, again, to serve in that role for these other stakeholder groups. But what I'm most excited about, really, that's coming out of that is that they are now, again, almost sort of in the model of the uh, Cleveland Green City on a Blue Lake um, work where Cleveland had sort of a launching summit and then is having summits once a year for the next 10 years on different themes. Mm. Echo's doing a similar thing. So they had that summit two years ago. And so now, um, not every year, but about every two years. So now we're two years 
in April, they're going to have another summit. And these secondary summits are now going to be more focused and tailored on specific topics and issues around around the region. So the one coming up is going to be on climate change resilience and mm. stormwater smarts. And I love that. So it's really looking at, and, and Vermont, as you may remember, got hit really hard in the aftermath of Hurricane Irene, yes. um, which was unheard of for us here in Vermont, you know, to be <laughs> impacted by the aftermath of a hurricane in Vermont. And so there was a lot of flood issue, mm. a lot of stormwater issues. And so now the conversation that they are, you know, in an appreciative capacity is this, you know, how do we become resilient as communities? How do we become smart about dealing with and proactively thinking about stormwater issues and creating resilient infrastructure and communities and mm. actions for this? So it's really sort of focusing on that specifically, that idea of, of resilience and stormwater and so, again, they are doing, they're doing amazing work where they're going around and looking at their, of course, were communities and regions and areas where the aftermath of Irene had positive uh, examples of resiliency, you know, that happened. And what were those? And what were the factors that led to some communities being, you know, maybe more resilient than others so that we can lift those examples up, learn from them, and really expand them and replicate them, not just around the state, but around the region and hopefully beyond. So looking at not even in Vermont, but there's other regions of the world. We're not, of course, we're not the only ones dealing with climate change and stormwater issues. And so really looking up and lifting up those best practices so that we can um, leverage them and expand them even further. So I'm just thrilled to see how that beginning conversation has of that first summit has led to now both the need for and recognition for more more conversations that need to happen, and then these ongoing summits that are going to focus specifically on targeted topics that are going to lead to real, meaningful impact and outcomes in our in our communities. Lindsay, that's such a fantastic example, and it just opens up to me so much at so many levels. But principally, it's about the interconnectedness of our planet and um, of like our communities, and that this one summit spawned or is spawning all these other conversations that are going to be happening and the opportunity to go even more granular with certain issues and to expand the conversation so that it becomes more relevant to all sorts of people with different areas of interest. While we might be interested in the, the bigger picture, a lot of us can, can get our hands and grapple around specific issues when they're very close to home. So I think that's fantastic. And a whole number of other things came up. And by the way... Echo is ecology. I misled you there. I said environment. Ecology, cultural, history, and opportunity. That's the acronym I looked it up. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> Phelan and Steve, if you're listening to this, I totally know what the letters for Echo stand for. Yes, I know, and I misled you. <laughs> and um, you might remember that Jürgen and I were there too. I was going to say that. Was I know. I, re- I wanted to share that story too because you guys were wonderful as um, sort of external stakeholders that mm. came and, and were a part of that first summit. So, maybe, yeah, you can even share some reflections of being there in the room at that first summit. Yes, it was just amazing to see the energy and the the multiple stakeholders from education to um, citizen scientists to academics to business people to others, to politicians. Um, it was just amazing to see that cross-section of people and the energy and the commitment 
and just the self-organisation that came out of people wanting to initiate projects and roll their sleeves up and get into it. Mm -hmm. It was certainly a very positive experience for both Jürgen and for me. And the thing that I love that you're saying too is you're bringing up resiliency in a way that I hadn't thought about before. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, continuity and sustainability in the ongoing conversations, but the resiliency piece, I'm, I've only associated that with the human capacity for resiliency. Mm-hmm. And now to think about it in terms of organizational and community resiliency and organizational yes. resiliency, yes. that's fantastic. I just hadn't oh. made that connection before. So Isn't thank you great? for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I think. And well, thank you to Echo. I mean, it, it came from I wish I could take credit for it. But framing of that came from them. But I have I have been, you know, people that are talking and in the resiliency conversation. I have loved that, that they've started to move the conversation from individual resiliency to what does collective resiliency mm. look like? I mean, we have to create a, a, a resilient planet, right? We have to be resilient resilient on a collective mm-hmm. level. And, and that's when I mean, what you're bringing up for me and reminding me of all the great people that were in the room at the Echo Summit is that's one of the things I love about appreciative inquiry as a um, philosophy and methodology is that it recognize it doesn't recognize it depends it de- it needs the fact that we are all interdependent and as you said embedded with one another the whole it takes a real systems approach and so this idea that you can't tackle any issue without having all the different stakeholders that are a part of that. So it was, you know, young people and it was politicians and it is business leaders and it is agricultural and it is, you know, we had faith uh, community leaders Mm -hmm. there. We had artists, people that inspire. We're talking about, if we want to change people's behavior, artists inspire people, Mm -hmm. right? So how do we, how do we do that? And so I love that about any, this summit, but any AI summit or, or approach and to quote our pal Marge Schiller, who I adore, mm-hmm. um, she says, don't do anything about me without me. Mm-hmm. And I love that as a sort of a philosophy and a tenant and appreciative inquiry that it's important that all the voices are a part of creating that that positive action and vision for the future because that's the only way it's going to move forward. Yeah, and, and two other margisms that I'd like to throw in because they're relevant, the max mix. Yes. So maximum number of stakeholders and a great mix of people and then plurk, which is a mm. combination of plan work. Yes. So plurk. Marge, if you're listening, um, with bowing to you. Plurk, Marge, <laughs> we're plurking, Robin yeah. and I. Uh, so Lindsay, let me move on to um, another question that's come up as, um, as we've been having this conversation. So... You've been describing this collaborative, participatory, dispersed leadership model, I think. So could you, because you're an educator in, in academia and you're, you're helping both faculty and students come to understand this kind of way of being and working in the world, what do you think is the impetus for driving organisations and communities toward this or what is the, you know, the greatest wish for us or aspiration to move organizations to this collaborative, participatory, dispersed leadership model? Mm -hmm. Oh, such a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of things pulling for it. I mean, I'll start there, sort of this idea of, you know, where is it coming from? And I, I think it's something that I see, be it 
you know, in small organizations or big organizations, just the, the extreme openness that our world is. I, I tell my students, we talk about the fact that we live in a age of radical transparency. We use that term just with, you know, social media, with, with sort of access to information and news and everything sort of 24 seven. It, it's almost as like everything is there at our fingertips now, right? That we can connect with people all across the globe be it via their social uprisings happening, <laughs> we we can witness and be a part of that to, you know, these movements in the business world and trying to impact things like global climate and everything else that it's just radical transparency, businesses and organizations. You can't keep anything under the rug anymore. <laughs> mm. um, you might try. People might good try thing, for right? a while, but I think this is a good thing that if there's something that's not been sort of the, the best interest for the whole, it's becoming harder and harder to hide that just given this radical transparency that we live in. And so I think that I'm seeing internally within organizations and externally from customers and and different stakeholder groups, there's this increasing demand or push uh, or this expectation that, of course, you know, my voice is going to be heard and I'm going to be a part of decisions that impact me. And so I think whether or not, you know, I don't know that how much of it there are enlightened leaders, I think, who realize that it's easier and better and more effective to lead with than to lead over. Mm. Um, And I think that people who are leaning into that are seeing the impact and the amazing trajectory and work that can be done with that but even leaders who might not be so so inclined or what I'd like to say you know so enlightened is to to realize the power of um, sort of this shared leadership model that I think that they're being pushed and drawn into it because their employees are demanding it more and more we talk about the having empowered workforces is a word that is coming up a lot and engaged is even moving away from empowered to to the idea of engaged it's like don't just empower me like you're giving me power but engage me right I want to be engaged and those are benchmarks now that like best places to work and stuff are using words around engagement and and then our, as a customer, you know, as customers and stakeholders of, again, these, be it business or social sector, we are, we're sort of demanding, be it on Twitter or Facebook or right. whatever it is, that, that we're, that all voices are a part of these conversations now. And so I think, again, that's one of the beauties of this point of time. We're at this interesting time in our in our history as a as a society that they were seeing this sort of demand but we're also seeing these tools these technological Mm -hmm. tools that are making it possible in ways that we never could have imagined before I mean here you and I are on you know I'm in Vermont you're in your home Mm -hmm. and we're on this conversation together and this week I was on a conversation with people in South Africa with people in Nepal with people in Australia that just the ability to connect is becoming so much easier thanks to technology and then the desire to connect I think and I just think that's a human desire that we want to have that connection we want to have our voice heard so I think we're seeing this shift because we now have the tools to facilitate it and it's just becoming part of the the demand in the ether and I think the expectation all across the board and I think organizations are either grasping that and and getting on board with that and and using it to their benefit or they're not and it's going to be to their detriment. Yeah. I think you summarized it beautifully. You included so many pieces there about the tools and the technologies and the expectations. 
And I think you are doing a great job because you're educating the new leaders. So I think the mindset shift is a Mm. huge part of this. And you talk about the desire, the desire to do it, you know, the belief that it's only right that people have a voice in what they're doing um, and and they're contributing. And if they can put their whole heart and Mm. soul into Mm. it, they're going to be Mm. more committed to Mm -hmm. it. So, you know, educating student business leaders of the future in new ways of being and doing in the world and the old bureaucratic hierarchical command and control structures mm-hmm. just don't they work just anymore. don't work over the long haul I mean we have data now to show that but and you're exactly right and again you um I think you see right into my heart and soul Robin that's why I love you so much that <laughs> that was part of why I was even drawn to be in in as a, as in a professor and in higher education, because I saw when you going back to the beginning of our conversation here, my calling wasn't just, you know, for, um, a sense of, Oh, I want to be in academia and in this role for some sort of ego trip, but it was more of a, exactly what you just touched upon is I, I thought one of the biggest levers and leverage points that I could have as an individual was to have that very conversation with the future leaders and, and, people of the world. And so that's where I was like, where, you know, move upstream, right? Swim upstream. (laughs) And so rather than I do love, I work with businesses, I do, but I I think that it is so important to be in the educational sphere, because exactly as you said, it's how do we help prepare and educate the next future of um, not just business, but all organizational leaders, mm-hmm. right? So I consider my students, they can be managers in any organization, for-profit, right. social sector. I said to them, even if they aren't business majors one day, they're going to be working in organizations right. for the rest of their life. And so they need to be thinking about all these different, their impact and stakeholders and how they engage people and all of these different demands that are now sort of at the foot of our organization's And so that is, that's a big part of why I was called to and can uh, see myself staying for the rest of my career in sort of that realm of helping to educate and be a part of the conversation and shaping the next generation of business leaders and organizational leaders to think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me we're talking organizations, not just businesses. That's, Mm -hmm. that's terrific. And I guess that's why I love the work that I do too because I am working with also in all sorts of organisational contexts and feel I have the ability to help uh, facilitate transformation mm-hmm. and change mm-hmm. and really examining what it is that really brings out the best in us all and how we can move towards a future that we can all be proud of. Lindsay, I'm looking at the time... So I do want to ask you one last question, if I may, and there's so much more I would love to talk with you about, and maybe we can do it another time. I know, maybe Um, I'll have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) But because we're calling this positivity strategist, or this is my focus here, using appreciative inquiry particularly, I I would love to ask you um, as a closing question, what does positivity mean to you? Oh, yes. Again, Robin, you asked the best questions, of course. That's why you're fabulous. So I've been thinking about this, um, just in general, not from our conversation, but this comes up a lot in the work with appreciative inquiry. And and I often I often tell people when I'm trying to explain appreciative inquiry that it's not it's not just positive inquiry, right? So it's not only in the sense of I think sometimes people misuse AI or even the word positivity, which I don't 
think, you know, this sense of, oh, that means we're not going to be talking about certain things or there's things we can't talk about. And to me, that's just the opposite of what we mean with positivity. You and I know that, Mm. that positivity to me is all about possibility. And so when we're using the word positivity and I go to Gervais Bush's work and, and things where it's, it's all about generativity, right? It's, it's about focusing on what works and what is there to be lifted up and celebrated because what that does is it creates generativity in a system. And again, and how do we then use that to create possibility? So those three words to me are very interconnected, this idea of positivity, possibility, and generativity. Um, Can I add one there? Yes, please do. I also like to say it's developmental conversations Mm. as well. Yes. Mm. And so exactly. And what we're finding though, right, over and over again, whether it is even, I mean, there's interesting, fabulous neuropsychology work that's happening now that's showing that when you, those, it's sort of where do you start the conversation, right? It's a where do you start the conversation? Are you starting it from possibility and, and hopes and strengths? Because what that does is that opens us up to possibilities and it opens us up to generativity in a way that then we can, we can tackle those thorny issues. We can tackle those things that need to be changed, but we're coming from a space of generativity where we, it actually gives us energy to be able to do that rather than just getting bogged down and mired in the, the deficit base. Well, um, what's wrong? And let's do a root cause analysis of what's wrong. Well, we're very good at that. What we're not so good at is the root cause analysis of success. Yeah. And, you know, how do we do that? So to me, it's, it's, it's a big, with positivity for me, it's a, it's a really, where do you start the conversation and to what in, intention do you have? And, and to me, the intentionality is around, yeah, the possibility and the generativity. And, and I love that, the idea of sort of um, and trans, transformation. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Lindsay. Is there something else that you would like to say by way of closing? Is there a conversation you'd like to have in the future? Oh, my goodness. No, I mean, this is just fabulous. It's been wonderful to sort of think with you. And I'm I'm now filled with all these new ideas, not just telling these stories, but listening with you. And so, yeah, I mean, I look forward to our ongoing conversations about how do we really do this at all levels. I guess that's the question that I'm playing with right now. And David and I are working on a book and we're talking about David's three circles of the strengths revolution of how do you lift up strengths, you know, in all the different ways and individual team and collective and societal level. How do you align those strengths? And then how do we really use that to create organizations that are refractions and reflections of our best selves? So it's sort of back to my, I think it circles back, Robin, to my, I'm a biologist, I'm a psychologist, and I'm a sociologist, (laughs) is I want to figure out how do we do, um, you know, lift up strengths in the best of ourselves at at all those different levels, cellular, interpersonal, and societal level, so that we really create the future that I know that we as a society are capable of. That's fantastic. Lindsay, as a result of this podcast, I write a little piece called show notes and in the show notes I like to link to references that our guests contribute. What I'm inviting the listeners to do now is when they listen to this podcast they might go to the show notes and we'll have some links to some of the people and the books and the references that Lindsay and I have shared today because I think it will contribute and give a greater richness 
to the conversation, which has been fantastic, Lindsay. Yeah, it's thank been you. so lovely oh, just it's to been hear. A great way for me to start my day. So thank you. You're most welcome. You can find the show notes and links to today's episode number five, Strength Based Business Education with Lindsay Godwin, on positivitystrategist.com forward slash PS5. If you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show, go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail. I will respond. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows so grow towards your best.